Welcome to Season 2 of the Pines and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. This show understands that there is quite a bit of diversity amongst the body of Christ. So we operate according to the motto that certain things are fixed, like the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. Heretic. Damn, I was <laughs> I was singing a song. Forgot to hit record. It was a great song. Would you like to start over? No. The moment's gone. Yeah, it was a great song. He was singing about Cullen and Adam, and one of them's a heretic. And the other one's uh I was trying to pick something that wasn't mean. I'm the heretic. You're the something. That's not mean, apparently. <laughs> hey, welcome to Pints and Perspectives, plural, because there's two of us. Uh, if you haven't liked, subscribed, and shared, it's cool. It's cool. Somebody's got to pay the bills, though. You know what I'm saying? So we would appreciate a little bit of support. It's late at night right now. It's 10 o'clock. We both work other jobs. It's, it's, it's the middle of the week. We, we had to boil our water for two days. What are we drinking? <laughs> uh, apparently, we're oh, drinking okay. a barley wine. My which, favorite. Okay. I need you to talk to me about this because I thought this kind of stuff was only done under either Bishop the barrel. divine label or the bishop's barrel. Bro. I look, I really don't know where that beer came from. Uh, somebody gave no, I do. That beer was a gift from someone who cares very deeply about beers. I think it was Ben. It may have been somebody else. If you watch and you're real pissed off at me that I don't remember this was your gift, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Comment below. We appreciate you watching. Um, somebody gave me this. I don't know where it came from. I do know that it is uh, 2021. Tell tell the listeners what, what's going on. Yeah, so it uh, it's an it's called the an old fashioned. It's a barley wine ale aged in rye whiskey barrels with orange peel. Come on, bro! It's brewed by St. Arnold's. It's 12.9 percent ABV. Hot. There's a little bit of info back here, but it's really nothing. I mean, they bought an English-style barley wine in rye whiskey barrels. Yep. It reminded us of the famous old-fashioned cocktail. This new iteration, we added orange peel to lend a bright and zesty counterbalance to the caramel malt, toffee, and dark fruit notes. So barley wine, it, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, barley wines are my favorite type of beer. Uh, I know it. I know the word wine is there, but they're not. they're not wine. It's a British thing. Uh, and it's, uh, well, barley. So they're very, they're not sweet. Sweet's the wrong word. I mean, you could get a really sweet one, but they're very uh, malty. Okay, look. Barley wines are very much beers, but they're made of sugars extracted from grains. So that's all beers, right? So why do they call them wines? Well, that's the cheeky part. The style earned its name based on these beers' strength and complexity. So why is that important? Strength. What was the ABV? 12.9. Strength. Complexity is they have lots of different malts, lots of different grains, yeah, lots of different, um, which creates a lot of flavor complexity, um, and so so th so which, that means that they hold up really really well, yeah, and they they have a lot of longevity. So uh, probably the, well, most the high alcohol content is, also is yeah right. To that. Um, and so one of the more probably well known barley wines, American barley wines, is uh, Bigfoot by Sierra Nevada out of California. And uh, I have a lot of them aged across multiple years in the cellar. And we're going to do a side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-by-side-
side by side. Going all the way back to 2012. I can't wait. So I, that was that was so St. Arnold, we love you. Houston, H Town for life. Also, my suspicion based on what I read on the back of the bottle. I messed up. Uh, it's fine. There you go. <laughs> the ASMR was lost in this episode. <laughs> Sorry. So your suspicion what? It's on. It has a Texas. Uh, my on. suspicion is that this beer is the precursor to the Bishop's Barrel, because that's literally the premise of the Bishop's Barrel is they age it in different. Well, kind this of is barrels. from 2021. I don't know when Bishop's Barrel started, but no, it's way Bishop's older. Bishop's Barrel than that. is definitely before way older that. Than so that. this is just like a macro-produced barrel-aged barley wine. I literally don't know. We should Google it. If only there were a tool to. Yeah, if only there was a tool called Google. I thought you were giving me one of your like age-old beers. I grabbed whatever was refrigerated. Oh, I heard. Uh, old fashioned. We're splitting it because because uh, Cullen forgot beer. Because Cullen forgot beers, but also like I don't even know where we could get that. Like I don't think you can buy these. Um, this is gonna be amazing. Oh no! So it was a limited release limited. beer. Okay. Yep. Um. Yep. It was a limited release beer. And I think the only info I'm going to be able to get about it is actually on Untapped. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I do know. Oh wait, no, here it is. This is on St. Arnold's website. Okay. Oh wait. Uh, does that say Burgundy on it? No. Is that it? That's the newer one. See, it's a series that they're doing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. they got a <laughs> toasted one. This is the orange peel. I know that the goal was to make it like it's a play on the old fashioned. Right. Because it's aged in rye. They're messing with different, like trying to make it taste like different versions of the right. old fashioned. And I've actually never had this beer before. I've just had this bottle. Well, it's a, okay. So it's a limited release. Definitely a limited release. Looks like the only real info I can get on it is on Untapped. Um, Yeah, it's like drinking an old fashioned. Oh, it's a spin on Bishop's Barrel number fifteen. Number fifteen. There you go. That's that's the answer. Yep. Uh, this is what it says: a spin on Bishop's Barrel number fifteen. The orange peel in this new iteration lends a bright and zesty counterbalance to the caramel, malt, toffee, and dark fruit notes. The rye whiskey barrel aging provides pleasant spice and oak characters to this twelve point nine percent beer. Nice. Uh, yeah. I knew it had to be connected to the Bishop's Barrel somehow. It like the the thing I read on the back was too close. Are you ready for this experience? You know it's good. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Cheers. Gosh. I wish I had a hundred of these bottles. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. I love barley wines because of the complexity and and the the booziness and like they're just like they're full of everything yeah. except for hops. They're not hoppy. Yeah, they're um, not. I don't even. I mean, is what the IBU is is like in the tens. Oh yeah, like, it's gonna be, it's going to be minuscule. It's probably on untapped, but um, but 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 you don't need the freaking <coughs> hops. You don't need the hops to offer you. No, no IBU. No IBUs. It's just. A glass full of grain. <coughs> okay, okay. We are both like old fashioned drinkers. Oh yeah, I yeah, drink yeah. them constantly. It's my, it's Not my, constantly. it's my afternoon cocktail. So okay, yeah, I go to afternoon. It's, it's my happy hour cocktail for yeah. sure. First drink after work. <laughs> 
what do you think? Do you taste old fashioned? Um, like what, what's the, did they achieve the goal? Yeah, it's pretty fucking like, I it, taste it. I do. It's really good. It, it does have all of those dark, rich oak characteristics. Yep. You can definitely Little tell. Cherry. Yep, you can definitely tell there's spice, which definitely comes from rye whiskey, yep. which is the preferred whiskey I like to have in my old fashioned. Mine too. Uh, yeah, this it's beer there. Is amazing. Yeah, what's your rating? I'm gonna give it a nine. Yeah, so I'm in the nines too. I yeah. think I'm at like a nine four. I'm pretty sure that's the highest rating I've ever given a beer on this podcast. It is out of this world good. it it is uh i taste the old-fashioned yeah, yeah 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 for sure i think they did it i want to try some of the newer ones yeah we should yeah, i'll, I'll try to buy some and we'll 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 keep doing them all right what are we talking about other than uh, amazing beer today <laughs> yeah an amazing beer st yeah. arnold's once again you kill killing it. it killing it um we are wrapping up this afterlife series and I was like, you know, what is there any loose ends we need to tie up? Mm. We have not. We've <laughs> talked a lot about purgatory because it's kind of this like one-off category of theology that not everybody accepts, but every kind everybody kind of knows something about. That's great. That's um, a great way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. And so we've talked a lot about it, but we've not done a singular episode dedicated, dedicated to, to that it. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to do that before we wrap up this series. Yeah, we need to tie up loose ends. Almost as if like there's some things we still have to work out before we can move on to like the final place where we are going to be for the future. Yeah. That's a great way of describing you purgatory. S- you said it, bro. Yeah. You said it. <laughs> it's true. Uh yeah. Purgatory. Well, okay. So how should we do this? Should we do this through like the development yeah, throughout I, church history? Should we talk about it like yes, how I, it's understood let me start. through culture? Yes, let me start. I I, I uh, did a, a little. The word purgatory has come to refer to a wide range of historical and modern concepts yeah. of a post mortem suffering short of everlasting damnation or um, you know uh, yep. obliteration. Yeah. Um, so, but where, when, according to uh, Jacques Le Goff, the conception of a pur- French person, yes, oh, it's late. The con- it's late. The conception of purgatory as a physical place came into existence in Western Europe toward the end of the 12th century. This yep. is true. Um, and the idea of a purgatorial fire comes from the idea of a purging and purifying punitive fire that is not hell right because we think of hell as fire and and purging but that's this is not it if you get into it's a catholic doctrine originally originally uh at the second council of Lyon. In 1274, when the Catholic Church defined for the first time the teaching of purgatory, the Eastern Orthodox Church did not adopt the doctrine. But that's a different story. (laughs) Well, that's 230 years after the Great Schism. Yeah, they're like, we don't accept a lot of things. But the important... The reason why I wanted to read that piece in particular is this has been a theological debate since the 12... Hundreds. Well, and we should also say that it was a made-up belief in the 1200s. Aren't all theological systems made-up beliefs? Correct. Cullen. But 
what we should say. It, I or, did the Donald the Donald Trump finger. What the hell was that? That's awful. That is disgusting. You should repent. I repent so <laughs> Satan won't burn me in hell forever. Yeah. I'm going to uh, have to work you, on that you in purgatory. You will now work out in purgatory Sheesh. because you did that. Yep. Golly. Um, what were we talking about before you interrupted? Purgatory. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. All theological beliefs oh, are yes. made up, but yes. what we should make the caveat is that I personally hold stronger to beliefs the closer they are tied to Jesus. Okay, say more. It, well, it's like the telephone game. What? The farther you get away, <laughs> you remember the telephone game when you're a kid, like somebody starts it and they say it in your ear. The telephone game when you were yeah. an adult? And you got to whisper it around. Yes. Yeah. And then it becomes something different by the end. Yeah. In yeah. the same way, like theological beliefs just get Passed more and more convoluted the farther you get away from the source. <sighs> white men. Am I right? <laughs> I think it's a lot of people other than white men. <laughs> primarily Europeans. Uh, yeah. Primarily Europeans. <laughs> primarily Europeans. But apparently also some French people making They're up purgatory. They're Europeans. Uh, yeah. Okay. Fair. Okay. Fair. Purgatory. Um, yeah, I just think that we should hold stronger to the beliefs the closer they are tied to Jesus. What, is, what does that have to do with purgatory? Purgatory was made literally half the distance we are from oh. Jesus oh. later. Oh, so, okay. Talk that out. Talk that well, out. It's, I'm following. it's I'm almost following. 1,300 years when that, that is documented anywhere in the church's history. You're saying it is a historically late theological development. Yeah, it's a medieval it, development. Very, very much medieval. Okay, so let's talk about. Okay, so so why, the reason so I mentioned that the reason yeah. I mentioned that is because since you're a fan of googling, uh, Google <laughs> some fact checks for Who's me. Who's not a fan um, of googling? <laughs> Thomas okay. Aquinas spurns the beginning of this thing called medieval theology. And the reason that's important is because he wrote the Theologica yeah. Su something. I don't know. Can't remember. I have read it. Uh, <laughs> all of it? It's like 12 no. volumes. No, I haven't read all of it. I've oh, read okay. I've read the abridged version. Yeah, I've also read multiple versions of the abridged yeah. version. Um, Theologica Sumica or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah Anyways, like moving that. on. Anyways. Nerds. He's early 1200s. Google his life for me. Um, he's early 1200s, and he spurns the beginning of this thing called medieval theology. And it, it's like, it's happening around the same time as humanism and some of these other philosophical movements. And what you have to know about theology. Wow, bro. Keep am, talking. Am Keep I talking. right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Hold on. Wait, this is wild. 1274 yeah. is the Second Council of Lyon yeah. when purgatory is first defined. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Aquinas dies 1274, yeah. the same year. Thomas Aquinas kind of spurns this movement. And what you have to know about theology is when you're studying theology throughout history. So my first master's degree, technically it says theological studies, but it's actually in church history, specifically in patristic theology. What you have to understand about the development of theology throughout history, when you're looking at church history, theology's main conversation partner is always philosophy. We were talking about this the other day, weren't we? So if you ever want to know why theological things are being created or instituted, you need to look at what hap what's happening in philosophy. Well, uh, yeah, Greek... Gr uh, 
Greek philosophy for sure, but especially and, and even sec- in Thomas Aquinas. Well, case. that's where I'm getting second century philosophy, which is what you were more of an expert in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and uh, well, second and third, second and third. Second my guy, third. my guy's Tim, Clement of Alexandria. He's gotcha. technically third. Century. Third, but Thomas Aquinas is not only read in theology classes; he's read in philosophy classes. He's a philosopher, an well, Italian medieval philosopher. And yeah, and so he's an academic. Right. He holds a professorship and he also begins to be valued in the seminaries. Right. In the training of pastors in the academy. Also, we had a professor, a mutual professor, who would only refer to him as Thomas. Uh, Randy Hatchett. If you're listening, Dr. Hatchett, why? Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was, a, it was his, a thing. It drove maybe me it's in his book. Um, oh. Right. Well, or also it could just be that. Like, he is the most famous Thomas theologian. Like, there's nobody else. Is he a Tom? Who else are you going to name that is, like, know. a famous theologian other than Thomas? Well, it's there's like, a lot of philosophers, if, though, who, anyways. Who? I don't know. Catholics? No. If we were having a conversation about theology, I and I said know. Carl, who do you think I'm talking about? There's one of two. Marx or Bart? Bart. Yeah. <laughs> I, w- I went with Bart first, you communist. <laughs> That's not... No, Socialist. Well, we no, were talking about philosophy. Uh, yeah, philosophy, philosophy. Uh, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Bart. So anyways, yeah. Thomas is having a conversation with philosophy, and it's very much so tied to humanism. Tom, what do you know about humanism? Um, I am not a philosophy person. Get your Google out. So, Get your Google out to fact check me, because I'm going off the hip here. I, most uh, of my philosophy comes from uh, Jerry Walls and Roger Olson. Um, I just so named, Roger, why is, do I name drop so much on this podcast? Roger is a great play, great person to learn philosophy from. Roger reads as much philosophy as he reads theology because he's a good because he's a good theologian. Right now, to be fair, I'm also not a good theologian. I don't consider myself to be a theologian. You're, I'm a homiletician. A homiletician. Google it if you don't know what that means. Humanism, an outlook or system of thought, a philosophy, attracting mm-hmm. prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. Humanism beliefs stress the potential value and goodness of human beings, emphasize common human needs, and seek solely rational ways of solving human problems. It's modernity. No, it's a precursor to modernity. It's started by David Hume. Please Hume. tell me what day, what, what year he is born. What am I, a Google machine for you now? Now you are because what my... Bring s- back Clayton. What I remember is that this conversation about humanism is beginning around this same time. Ooh, 1750s. David That's Hume. when David Hume comes in. That's 500 years later. Yeah, it's definitely not that. But there's a precursor movement, and I'm losing. I'm drawing it because it's what 10:30 at night. It's late. Yeah, I cannot remember what what it's called. But philosophy repeats itself in the same way that modernity is. You know, leads its precursor <laughs> to postmodernity, which the, we've I'll, identified as a like later version of modernity, like what we chose to do oh. after that. But it's but postmodernity is a recreation of romanticism, which is a previous mm. philosophical movement. Gotcha. What, what's the philosophical movement in the twelve hundreds? Like I can't remember what it's called, but it's the precursor to humanism. Bonaventura uh, is probably the most famous one in the twelve seventies. Um 
Bonaventure, I think is how it's pronounced. I can't remember. But anyway, uh, it's all Italian stuff. Whatever it is, it's it's closely tied to humanism, which Adam read to you. And humanism is all about rationalism. Right. It's about being able to explain the things. It is the it is a precursor to modernity. Um and the scientific exploration. Thomas is having that conversation. Thomas is literally officing down the hall <coughs> from the people having these conversations in the university. And he's writing theology with those conversations tickling in the background. Yeah. And he comes up. Occam. Occam he, is maybe the big, anyway, go, sorry, uh, he, William Occam. There it is. Yeah. Um, he comes up with the concept of philosophical theology. Uh-huh. This is where you just literally tie them together unashamedly. Okay. So what what have I said on what have I said numerous times through this podcast that majority of this is philosophical theology. Right. We are making this crap up. Right. Right. There is Amen. very little biblical basis for what we have. Purgatory is a great truth and example of this, but so is hell. Yeah, great point. Um, okay, so you defined purgatory as this place of like purification, right? As what I, would, I affectionately call a place to work your shit out. Right. Hold on. I want to do one more historical thing before we move okay. into the actual theological philosophical stuff. Uh, some scholars might... Elated. 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 Y'all so clever down there at St. Arnold, I tell you what, and it's got a Texas on it. Ooh, yeehaw. Um, some scholars might argue that purgatory was actually a uh, political economic development <clears throat> because the Catholic Church at this time was one of the most, if not perhaps the most powerful uh, political, military, and economic engine in all of Europe. Uh, they held a lot of power. The Pope was sort of kind of the most powerful political figure on the continent. It's true. Um, and, uh, un and so some might argue that uh, St. Peter's Basilica, which still stands today it does. Uh, at the center of the Vatican, was an extremely expensive... Endeavor, uh, architectural endeavor and undertaking, uh, but it was supposed to be like uh, a representation of all the glory of God on earth and yada, yada, yada. You, you can go see it today, but it cost a lot of money during a very trying time for Europe when there wasn't a lot of money to go around. So the Catholic church was hurting for an economic engine to build this massive, massive uh, building project. And so they needed a way to raise more money for the church so they started this concept of selling something called indulgences. Yeah, well, this is Martin Luther's beef. <clears throat> so this is later on. Yep. But uh, this really hype uh, uh, expands the theological concept of purgatory because the Catholic Church... You're buying people out of purgatory. The Catholic Church begins to sell mm -hmm. indulgences. It begins to, you can purchase people's way through purgatory quicker. Yep. Yep. You can only so it's a Catholic doctrine that arises in the medieval ages, and you can only enter purgatory if you are a Christian. And when the concept, when the theological doctrine comes about, that, that meant Catholic. 
Yeah. So you had to be, yeah. You had to be Catholic. You had to be a confirmed Catholic. So it's just important to understand historically and even now those who still believe in purgatory, it is not hell. The people who are in purgatory that are in the purging fires of purgatory, the theological doctrine would state, are actually believers in Christ who are saved and going to heaven. They are not being purged as part of their eternal damnation. Well, so not exactly, because the purgatory thing is you didn't do all the things required of you in the religious system. Oh. And so you're not like you are not. You have to say more Hail Marys. Yeah, you didn't do all your penance. You didn't go to confession. You didn't you didn't get your last rites. You didn't do all the things you're supposed to do. And so you have to pay some kind of punishment. Right. In purgatory. Because but all, you were a Christian. You were baptized. You're going you were to confirmed. Heaven. You're going to get there eventually. On your way to glory. Because we can't take all your rights away if you screw up. Once saved, always saved. No, that's actually for Catholics. That's, it's that's not a definitely not true. No, you just this have, is where the term bastard comes from. Well, are you in communion is the is the yeah. factor. Yeah. So it's this like it's this really strange development. And honestly, of a lot of different, like a myriad of factors pushing its evolution. Philosophically. Well, that's how it starts. There's no biblical basis. Well, okay. So let's have this conversation. I actually disagree with you. Okay. Lazarus and the rich man. Um, Where's the biblical basis? Well, yeah. So the story where it's Lazarus and the rich man. Is it? Yeah, so he looks up at him and he sees him up there, but he can't see the guy down there. And he, right. oh no, 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 it's the yeah, it's his brother. It's guys in this holding like in Abraham's bosom is what it's called. Oh, it's jogging my memory now. It's Abraham's bosom. This is in the New Testament. Bosom. <laughs> uh, this is in the New Testament, and. This character, I'm drawing a blank a little bit, but this character is in this place called Abraham's bosom, yeah, and he's that? looking up. That's Lazarus and the rich man, bruh. Is it? I'm going to Google it. Dude, it's, we should not do this at 10. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, perhaps it's Lazarus and the rich, man. The rich man. The rich man is looking up at this scene happening on earth, and perhaps it's Lazarus. And he says, he asks a character, can they just dip their finger in yeah, water and it. touch the tip of my tongue? Yep. Yep. Um, if you were going to have a biblical basis, that would be a pretty good starting place. But that's nothing. Luke 16, 19 through 31. It is. The rich man and Lazarus. Okay. Not, not Jesus's friend who gets resurrected, Lazarus. Different, different Lazarus. Because you know, in the ancient world... Lazarus is a use, common name. Yeah, I guess so. Um, well, so, yeah. Uh, but I think... the co- uh, What did I tell you? Are you in the right place? 16? Isn't that what you said? Did I lie? Or did you say 17? I said Luke 16, 19 through 31. That's what the Google says. Nope. Well, there's not 31 verse. Oh, I'm in Matthew. Oh, this come on. What? I don't care. It's too late. It's okay. Uh, it's too anyways, late. Anyways, so there's you, this. You, so go ahead. There's this story, and that that's the basis you could start from. I think Jerry Walls has this one. 
I haven't I haven't read his, his book on purgatory. Um, don't quote me on that. But another one you could go to is Sheol. Okay. Sheol is this Hebrew place which it seems to be treated as just like this afterlife holding cell. Okay. But if you're going to have a holding cell, something it, must be happening. Is there redemption occurring? No. Well, we, we don't know. There's no biblical we evidence We don't know. It's just a name. Okay, look. So here's the point. I don't think there's... It, uh, perhaps there's like... Um, if you're going to make cookies, you need a little bit of salt, right? To make mm -hmm. some chocolate chip cookies. Like, mm -hmm. So maybe... Well, there's, salt enhances flavor. Right. So maybe there's a little bit of biblical salt in this theological yeah. doctrine of well, purgatory. Well, it's people trying to read back. That's what I'm I saying. damn sure don't think any biblical it's authors had it in their mind. It's not freaking there. No. And so that's all I'm saying is it is a theological... It is a late theological development, which is where we started the conversation it is a catholic doctrine that was developed late and uh, but i will say there are modern theologians uh who are not catholic who do believe in purgatory yeah for sure most I think, famously I think roger olson believes in a purgatory he would i think he does uh, and, and i think the most famous one for me is c.s lewis yeah for sure all, all you protestants out there love you some c.s lewis and he believes in purgatory wrote a whole book on it yeah multiple and this is where jerry walls really gets on his soapbox as he anyways he talks about purgatory from c.s lewis framework but um and the reason for that is because conceptually i guess it does make sense that nothing unclean can be in the presence of the holiness of God. So when you die, if you haven't worked out your penance, if you haven't done all the uh, check boxes of your religious, you know, whatever system, then this is a time in which you, to quote Cullen, not my words, his words, work your shit out. Yeah. So that you can get to a point in which you are holy enough to enter into the presence of yeah. the un the unmediated presence of God. Exactly. Okay, so so the evangelical uh Protestant response to that is sorry, the response to that is well Jesus does all that on the cross. Jesus does or does not based on your acceptance to the conformity narrative we give you. But the Protestants don't need a uh, purgatory because the well, salvific work of Jesus is enough. Well, be careful when you say Protestants because there are lots of Protestants that still have a purgatory. I mean, Lutherans... Do Lutherans, the, Lutherans comment... Where's Dallas Lewis when we need her? I'm pretty sure. That's who I'm I was thinking of. Right that's now. who I was thinking of. Dallas is purgatory a Lutheran. No, it's not. I, we can Google this. Do Lutherans believe in purgatory? Has Pines and Perspectives just turned into like a Google search? <laughs> I swear, five degrees between the two of us. There's a lot of shit to we know here, We have dude. read all the books. We have. Uh, I don't think yeah. so. Okay, okay, maybe so. There are Protestants who do have a purgatory theological doctrine. Oh, no, Lutheran. Some Lutherans reject purgatory. I would imagine. But some Lutherans do accept it. Uh, because just like Baptists or any other denomination, there's like 800 of, offsuits. I know plenty of Baptists. They who, believe in purgatory. Who believe in a purgatory. Yeah, for Isn't sure. Isn't that crazy, though? Because Why? Because 30 years ago, you'd have never heard of Baptists that believed in purgatory? Well, what do we believe about the work? What do we believe 
about the efficacy of Jesus's sacrifice. I mean, I, I'm not asking for me. <laughs> You're asking a rhetorical Baptist question. Yeah. I get the concept of purgatory. When I was in it deep, when I was writing all the papers, when I was reading all the books, when I was making all the arguments, all the theological arguments, I, um, I, I did hold, I thought purgatory was a great theological uh, uh, development. development and doctrine that made a ton of sense rationally, theologically, uh, you just finished that beer. You just took your last sip of that beer. Like it was just it, a Dos Equis. I, I am offended. I did not. You savored that last sip? Of course. God, I savored every moment. It's like I'm drinking it slow. I know I drink slow, but this stuff is good. Um, I don't know where I was. Comment below. Is Adam drunk? I don't think so. We've only had two beers. Uh, and this we is shit. And we... <laughs> <laughs> we split both of them. <laughs> I have a lisp. I'm sorry. Uh, it's 1030 at night. It, well, it's later than 1030. It's like 1040. Oh, um, yeah, I think so. That's a long way of saying in my own theology, I have a purgatory. Yeah. Okay. Why though? The question for me is why do you need it? Well, okay. So let me also be clear. Okay. I'm not thinking about purgatory the same way that most people are. A, a a physical, maybe not physical, but like a literal space in which your disembodied eternal spirit is actively doing some sort of righteousification. So I actually do believe that, but ah, I got it. But it is, uh, I'm how you get there. Okay. 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 How do you get there? So purgatory is my place for pluralism. Yes, I remember this. We've talked about this, Go, but so, say more. Okay, so specifically. <laughs> the place for pluralism. That is our new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's still P and P. Yeah, and place yeah, for, the place for pluralism. Sorry, I'm out. Bring back Clayton. What am I doing? <laughs> so, okay. So pluralism is this idea that there is a plurality of religions that are possibly worshiping the same deity. Yeah. And some might argue that there are Jesus biblical truths showered in any and all religions. Oof. I don't know if I'm going there with you, but okay. You can certainly argue that there are Jesus truths in any and all Abrahamic religions. Big bro, I don't know what you mean by Jesus truths. Well, who talks about Jesus? Jesus? Well, okay, so I mean two things. I'm using it as a double entendre. What I mean about Jesus truths is later religious developments that take the good things that they like about Jesus and incorporate it into their own truths. Specifically thinking about Hinduism with that one. Okay, okay, um, okay. Thank you for clarification. The other thing I'm thinking about is specifically like the Abrahamic religions, all three of them, Judaism, Christianity, yeah, well, and Islam, I got, they yeah. all have versions of Jesus sure. and his truth sure. in their religion. Okay, okay, okay. Jesus is in the Quran, by the way. Oh, multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe that 
there's probably some truth that those people are worshiping a version of the same deity. Okay. However, I also believe Jesus at his own words. Right. That Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. Yes. And so. And no one gets to the Father except through him. I need a place. You elitist. It's not an elitist thing. It's a, I need a place for people to go to work their shit out with Jesus. Do you think Jesus is there actively like. I don't know. Ministering to people and. I, I okay. I'm glad you said that word though. I do think it's a place of ministry. Mm-hmm. I do not think it's a fiery work your shit out in some kind of hell idea. I don't think you're suffering. I think it's a place of ministry. I think it is a version of healing. I think you are there to work your shit out with Jesus. It's like a spa you, retreat. No, you got it. <laughs> what I really think it is is like you got it real close, but you didn't quite put the pieces together. And Jesus is there, oh, like the shack. It's grace. Jesus is there to show you who he is. He's going to build a canoe with you in the shed. He's going to help you work your shit out After, in a really healing and holistic, beneficial way. You're going to go garden with an Asian woman. Well, no. I mean, you could. Read the shack. It's amazing. It's a great book. But I really do think, like, I think it's a place for people to work their shit out with Jesus. Filming content in the middle of filming content. It's so meta. Um, uh, you could really do some shit with time on that if we're going to have a philosophical conversation. So, I don't... I I, I am... I am with... It, I, it makes sense, Cullen. I just don't know if it's... I don't know. I'm not well, there anymore. Well, but you don't have to be because you know what? I'm going to wake up tomorrow and go, I don't believe that either. I know. Because I know. That's the point. None of this. We cannot be certain There's about no certainty any, in any of, of this. It. There's no There's certainty in it. None of it. We are all making it up. We're all trying to put it together. Like, it. I have put a system together that I think yeah. solves my particular yeah. qualms. Yes. Now. I also want to acknowledge that my qualm or me solving my qualms creates problems for other people in their own theological system. Yeah, well said, well said. It's because none of us can be certain about any of this. That's right. That's the truth. There's just nobody, no dead people write books. Yeah, that's right. And that's, I mean, no dead people write books, no dead people direct movies. We don't know. Dead people don't tell us what happens when you die. We don't know. And so we try to make this up sometimes out of our own anxiety, sometimes out of real truth. Often out of our own anxiety. And so uh, to that point, out of my own anxiety, I do love the concept of if there is an afterlife, there being some sort of space, suspended space, where whatever the truth is, whatever the system is that is that does exist if it exists if i live past my if i have a post-mortem existence which i'm not convinced i have but if i have a post-mortem existence the concept of purgatory makes sense because if i have a post-mortem existence that means all humans have a post-mortem existence and that means that there is some sort of divine situation happening maybe it's the universe maybe it's Maybe it's Yahweh. Maybe it is Allah. I don't know. 
Neither do you. But I do like the concept that whatever that system is, whatever the truth is, that there is a space in my postmortem state that I go and figure it out. Well, that you can. I can if I, I choose to, because no, that's your deal. Not choose. I do think there are going to be people that when they die. Annihilation. Well, so here's the thing. I also should make this caveat. I don't think that purgatory is an active place right now today. And I don't believe right. it's disembodied. You're, you're, you're a soul sleep guy. I'm a soul sleep guy. Yes. And I think all of it's initiated at general resurrection. When Jesus, when the trumpet sounds yeah. and we all go home. Yeah, but not in a rapture way because uh, that's previous episode. The, the previous episode. <laughs> Reference previous episode. Yeah, look, I would be interested for those of you who are who are actually watching us on YouTube. I would be interested if what you if you've heard of purgatory, and you buy it. Like, is it a part of your theologicals? Andrew Barrett, what do you think about purgatory? You, you got you got a purgatory system going on. Is it part of your afterlife system? That's a great question because he's also a C.S. Lewis fan. Comment below. Lewis did it. I don't. I mean, people do it. Yeah, people definitely make space for it, and I, I do think. Like, if we're going to make up afterlife theology. <laughs> <laughs> Which we are. I think purgatory is a great addition. I do, I, too. It makes sense. Well, but that's the deal. It's if you're all not an evangelical. based on rational thought. It is, it is, it is Which medieval, is all, rational, philosophical construction. Which is also why conservative fundamentalists don't, don't like accept it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Enough with all that education. Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.